0: John 17:17 17, 17. let's begin there John 17:17 17, 17. If you have your bibles turn with me to John chapter 17 verse 17 John chapter 17 verse 17 Sanctify them by your truth your word is truth Sanctify them by your truth your word is truth the meaning of sanctification is not just being clean. It is part of it. But the meaning of sanctification is to be set apart. Is to be set apart. Amen. Um, I always give this example, especially in Indian houses where we love being good hosts to our guests there are some utensils, there are some vessels in our homes that are set apart, that are holy, that are only taken out when the guests come. Amen? You are set apart for God. Say with me, you are set apart for for God. Set apart for God. So Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The meaning of That word truth means reality. It means reality. So Jesus is praying, Lord, set them apart in your reality. Set them apart in your reality. We live in our own realities where the sun does not revolve around, sorry, the sun anyways does not revolve. The earth does not revolve around the sun. The earth revolves around us. We live in a reality where the earth revolves around us. It's all about, you know, my issues in life, my career, my my quality of life, my problems, right? So, if you need to be redeemed from that, you can only be redeemed by the truth of Jesus. God did not send Jesus to deliver you from hell. God sent Jesus to deliver you from yourself. Because you were on the way to hell. The greatest deliverance that you need is from yourself. It's from the idea that I can do this by my own strength. When Adam ate from the knowledge of good and evil, he was separated from God in his mind. Do you know? Do you know that in reality you cannot be separated from God? The psalmist says, "If I go up to heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, you are there. You cannot be separated from God, but you can be separated from God in your minds because that's a willful choice that we make. It's like saying Delhi cannot be taken out of India." because delhi is the capital city of india but if delhi closes its borders even though it is in india it can still be separated you cannot be separated from god you are in god you are in christ but if you close if you close your access to god even though you are in god you will live like as if you are separated from god Am I making sense? Romans 8, 38-39 says, There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Is that the truth? Absolutely. There is nothing. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you. No demon No angel, no powers of darkness, nothing in heaven, nothing on earth can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. There's no doubt about it. Do you know most Christians love Jesus, but most Christians don't experience the love of Jesus? And there's a difference. Do you know why? What stops them? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is what creates our awareness of God's love for you. You can profess to say, I love Jesus. But I'm telling you, you loving Jesus of your own flesh is not going to be fruitful. Your authentic love of Jesus is a response to His love. We love because He first loved us. Your authentic love Loving Jesus is a response to his love. You cannot love Jesus. That's the truth. How do you love God? I want to love God. I want to serve him. The truth is you can't love him enough. I can't love my parents half the way they love me. I can't. I can't compete with that. You think you can compete with God's love? Instead of stressing, striving so much on how to love God, take a moment to recognize how much he loves you. The question is not, do you love God? The question is, do you know how much you're loved by God? And the knowledge and the awareness of God's love opens up when we have an awe, awe for his presence, awe for who he is. When we have the healthy fear of God. Fear of the Lord is not to be scared of who God is. Fear of the Lord is not to be scared, but fear of the Lord is to be terrified of what it feels to be outside God's love. Fear of the Lord is not to be scared. Adam and Eve didn't have the fear of the Lord. That's why they were scared. So the moment they heard God, they went hiding. Fear of the Lord is to be terrified of what can be when God is not in your midst. That's why I love the Psalmist David, you know, King David, he says in Psalm 51, he says, have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your faithfulness. You know, he's writing this Psalm just after he's been confronted by Prophet Nathan of adultery and murder. And immediately his response is not to hide, his response is, have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your faithfulness. See, he could have said, Lord, can you just can you just overlook this? Because this is the only thing that I've done which is wrong. Look at my look at my track record. I've always been faithful. I've I've given you the best sacrifices. I have this whole plan of making the temple for you. Look at my track record. It's awesome. Compared to all the other people who have gone before me. He does not say all of that. He does not waste his energy in proving to God how faithful he is. Instead, he says, Lord, just have mercy upon me according to your faithfulness. Because I know that you are faithful. You are faithful. In John chapter 11, when Mary and Martha sent send this letter to Jesus, telling him to return to Bethany because their brother Lazarus is ill, they write. I forgot what they wrote. (laughs) Let's just read John chapter 11. Come. I don't want to misquote it, that's why. John chapter 11, verse 1. Okay. Um Verse 3, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So the sisters have sent a letter saying, he whom you love is ill. You see the focus? It's the fear of the Lord that changes our paradigm of thinking, that changes our focus from looking at ourselves, looking at how good we are into seeing how good he is. And how faithful he is. So they're completely changing the focus. See, Lord, will you come back? Because the one who loves is sick. No, he says, because the one whom you love. Whom you love. You can run out of loving God. But God does not run out of loving you. So when you focus on his unfailing love, you begin to love him. True love is an automatic response. Marriage counseling 101. True love is an automatic response to knowing that you are loved by God. Loved by God. In fact, when Paul talks about wives submit to your husbands, you should read the previous word It says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. It's mutual submission in the fear of the Lord. Recognizing that God loves you. Recognizing that God perfectly loves you. So you are not demanding love. You are overflowing in the supply of God because you recognize that there's a continuous supply. That's the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is not to be scared. Fear of the Lord is to be confident of God's love for you. It's to be confident. And that's why... John says in 1st John chapter 4 verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I want to say, my brothers and my sisters, there is a healthy fear of God which we require, which we need. There is a healthy fear of God. And this healthy fear is what opens our awareness to his love, opens our awareness to who he is, opens our awareness to his holiness, opens our awareness to his goodness so that we can be awed by his presence. Amen. Don't let the devil bully you. Read with me first Peter chapter 5, verse 8. First Peter. 5 verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now here's the thing that I want to tell you. For people who are going through a spiritual attack, devil is not attacking you to cause you some inconvenience. Oh, my tire got punctured. It's a spiritual attack. Devil does not care about giving you some small inconveniences. He wants to attack you to devour you. Are you getting what I'm saying? The intensity by which he's attacking you, okay? His intention is to steal, kill and destroy. But it is the grace of the Lord that you've been protected and all that you face is a small inconvenience. So don't get complacent thinking, oh, yeah, just a headache. Just a pain in my leg. Oh, yeah, i yeah, busy with my office. Let's miss church. You get what I'm saying? The intention by which the devil attacks you is not to give you inconvenience. It's to destroy you. is to take away your dest- destiny. If he can steal the word from your life, he can kill your destiny, destroying you. You can live dying. If somebody's destiny has been stolen from them, it's destroyed. They're living a life of a dead body. So don't let the devil bully you. Here, Peter says, be watchful. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be alert. Why? Because the devil is like a roaring lion. He is not the roaring lion. He is like a roaring lion. Who is the lion? Who is the lion? Jesus is the lion. So he mimics, he pretends to be like Jesus. But why does he pretend to be Jesus? I'll I'll show you a verse in Proverbs 19 verse 12. If you have your Bibles, read this. Proverbs 19 verse 12. It says... A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion. But his favor is like dew on the grass. One more, Proverbs 20, verse 2. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. The reason why the devil pretends and mimics to be the lion of Judah is so that he can disqualify you from being confident in God's love. So he'll bring in shame, he'll bring in sin in your life to disqualify you and to give you this wrong impression that Jesus is angry at you, God is angry at you. And nothing can be further away from the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves you. He is not angry at you, he is angry at sin. There's a difference. But he'll twist that to say he's angry at you, see didn't I tell you he's angry at you? He's angry at sin. And I praise God that he's angry at sin. He's angry at my sin, yes. And I praise God for that. Why? Because he's a consuming fire who can consume that sin away from me. He's angry at my sickness, yes. Why? Because he can consume that fire. That fire can consume that sickness away. I can be clean. I can be pure. I can be set apart. I can be holy. So devil will mimic to be like an angry Jesus at you. But I'm telling you, you have to stand on God's word. You have to stand on God's word. You have to stand on the finished work of Christ. Whatever Jesus died for has set you free from once and for all. So God does not hate you. God loves you. God loves you. You have to be confident of God's love, but it can only happen when you feel God, when you're awed by His presence, when you understand the magnitude of what has happened on the cross. But the cross is not just a theology, it becomes a reality. I know I'm forgiven. Yeah, you know you're forgiven, but do you experience that forgiveness? What does that experience of the forgiveness make you do? Does it it make you more passionate for the kingdom? Does it make you more, you know, to suffer for Jesus that even though you are hurt, you want to love people unconditionally? That's the experience of forgiveness. That's the experience of salvation. Don't let the devil, devil bully you. He wants you to be disqualified from God's grace. But when we have the awe of God, When we have this healthy fear of God. You know, the fear of God is like a fence that keeps unwanted things outside and that keeps God's love, God's mercy, kindness, and grace for you inside. Stay in the fear of God. Amen? Stay in the fear of God. Wait, I'll show you something. Come with me to John chapter 11. Was 3, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Do you see something very unique in this verse? It says, Jesus loved whom? Martha does not mention Mary. says Martha and her sister. Mary is identified by Martha. Jesus loved Martha. Do you know that Jesus loves Martha? Jesus loves Martha. Right? Now, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This is something that I don't understand. When you hear somebody is ill, why wouldn't you go there instantly? But Jesus is taking two more days. The moment he knew that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Right? Now, after two days, he, he tells them, verse 11. Let's jump to verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Look at this. Jesus intentionally waits for two days before going. Why? Because he's waiting for Lazarus to die. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? He's intentionally waiting. And he tells his disciples, it is for your sake. It is for your sake that I was not there. So that you can see God's glory. You can see God's glory. Jesus is never delayed, my friends. Sometimes he purposely stays away so that he can reveal his glory. Okay? But now, next verse. Verse 20. Okay, let's jump to verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, it just seems like Martha is saying all the right words, all the right phrases. She is the church going Christian who goes to church. So she knows is. Next, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is, see, when Jesus says something, just listen. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, here's my question. Did Martha really believe? Did Martha really believe what she said? She's calling Jesus Lord. She says all these right phrases and sentences, implying that she really believes who Jesus is and that nothing is impossible for him. My question is, does she really believe? Because a lot of times we are, we are like Martha, Christians who've gone to church, who've become too familiar with what church looks like, what God's presence looks like. But we say something, but we believe something else. I want to show it to you. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, Underline that word private. The teacher is here and is calling for you. In public, she calls him, Lord, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. I believe everything that you say is going to happen. In private, she calls him. The teacher is here. What does she really believe in her heart? See, I'm trying to tell you, most of our intentions that we have is so hidden that only these Pressing circumstances reveal the true nature of our intentions. You say something with your mouth, but in your heart, what truly lies comes out in such circumstances. That's why Jeremiah says the heart is the most deceived. It's the most deceptive creature. The heart is the most deceptive creature of all things. She calls him Teacher. Now look at Mary's response. Verse 29. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Martha did not really invite Jesus inside. So he's still there. But Mary goes where Jesus is. Now, verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. You see the posture? That's why I tell you, your posture matters. Your posture of prayer matters. Your posture of listening to God's word matters. Because it is your posture that reveals the true intention of your heart. And here she says, She falls at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same thing that Martha says, but when Mary says it in verse 35, it says Jesus wept. Martha and Mary said the exact same thing, but with one, Jesus is having a theological discussion. In the other, Jesus empathizes with her and is weeping with her. You know why? Because Mary had the fear of the Lord. Look at her posture. The moment she hears that Jesus is there, she falls at her feet. I love one day when we were doing our morning devotion, Betty said something, that Mary was familiar with the feet of Jesus. She was familiar. This was not her first time. She was familiar because she stood, she stayed under his feet, received his teaching. She stayed under his feet and poured her oil, her ointment and anointed her, her anointed his leg, anointed his feet, washed his feet. Mary was familiar with the feet of Jesus. The fear of the Lord, the awe of God, that is what Mary had, which made her unique, which made her different from Martha. Next you know what happens Lazarus is raised from the dead You want to see supernatural power of resurrection working in your life it cannot happen without you and me being in complete awe of who God is Because fear of the Lord is honor for who he is is absolute honor It is not to be scared, but it's honor. That's why Psalms 25 verse 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. You know, one day I heard the Lord, the Lord said, Sam, you cannot be my friend until I don't become your Lord. You can't be friends of God until you don't receive him as the Lord of your life. Come in submission. You know, we as Christians, and I put myself in that category, we are like the pendulum that move from one extreme to another extreme. And Lighthouse, when Lighthouse began, we were, we were stuck in the extreme of legalism. And God delivered us from legalism. But this is my fear that we are moving into another extreme of lawlessness. Grace is not lawlessness. Jesus said, I am the way. Narrow is the way that leads to life. You know why it's narrow? Narrow. Because on both sides there are ditches. And one ditch is called legalism. The other ditch is called lawlessness. We have not been delivered from legalism to move into lawlessness. We have to be careful. Let me show you a verse. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. You have... Loved righteousness. This is talking about Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated, and hated wickedness. You have loved righteousness. As much as you love righteousness, you should hate wickedness. You cannot have a, you cannot have a casual attitude about sin. You can't. You can't have a casual attitude about sin in yourself and also sin in others. You can't be like, oh, it's God's grace. God's grace is for the sinner, but his grace is against the sin. You cannot have a casual attitude. Lawlessness is to have a casual attitude. Casual attitude. And I'm telling you, because Lighthouse is so immersed in theology, I'm telling you, the devil will use theology to disqualify you. It's okay. It's okay. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. is to hate everything that God hates. Say with me, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Hate evil. Hate everything that God hates do you know whatever god hates he sent his son to die for so how dare how dare we have a very casual attitude towards those things that he hates god sent his son to die for our sin is it true god sent his son to die for our sickness is that true God sent his son to die for demonic oppression, from oppression of all kinds, then how can we be casual about these things? We have to hate it with all our being. If Jesus died for it, I hate it with all my life. Fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Fear of the Lord is not to be scared, but to become aware of his love and become aware of what he has done through Jesus. And fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It is to hate evil. With all your being, hate evil. Hate evil. Hate limitations of every kind. Don't get comfortable. Hate evil. I want to show you one more thing. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Isaiah chapter 33 verse 6. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure, is God's treasure. Read the last verse. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6, the last line. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. I'll show you one more verse. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 to 3. This is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus. And he says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The delight of Jesus was in the fear of the Lord. So if the fear of the Lord is not this unhealthy fear of being afraid and of being scared of his torment and punishment, then what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord comes from a deep reverence, deep awe, deep respect for who God is. Serve the Lord with fear and tremble with rejoicing. How can you serve the Lord with fear and tremble with rejoicing? Have you seen a roller coaster? You're on a roller coaster, you tremble with fear, but there's there's this weird kind of joy because it's exciting. The fear of the Lord is exciting because you know that you're protected. Because that seat belt that you wear on that roller coaster gives you the assurance that no matter how high you go and no matter how fast you come down, you'll be protected. Just enjoy the ride. The fear of the Lord is what gives you protection in the high and lows of life to enjoy life because you're protected. You're protected. You're protected. To have this awe for God's presence. And not take it casually. Not take it casually. And practically, how you have to really reflect on this is check your posture. Your physical posture reflects your heart's posture. Check your posture. How do you sit? How do you pray? How do you read the word? Because, you know, we're living in times when, you know, I can't find my phone. Yeah. We're living in times when, you know, we have the Bible on the phone. So, you know, you can wake up and do morning devotions on the bed. You can do that. And it's not like God God will hate you for that. This is nothing to do about God. This is everything to do about your heart's posture. Do you even recognize who's speaking to you? Meaning, if, if, if you had to go for a conference... Which, which spoke about, you know, seven keys to uh, abundance and wealth, you would be sitting there with the notebooks. You will come there before time and you will be expectant. And here you are in the presence of the Almighty God doing morning devotion right from your bed. Your posture really defines how much you truly believe in this God. Have you read your Bible? Whenever people had an encounter of Lord, they did not even, they could not even stand straight because they would just automatically fall down. They were not like, oh God, let, oh, let me just fall down. No, they were automatically fall down. It's the fear of the Lord that caught their hearts. Do you know why your prayers are not answered? Lack of God's fear. How did Jesus teach you to pray? How did Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be greatly feared and here we are we can use His name whenever we like. I love I love the gospel of good news and I love that we are not serving a God who is a dictator, but we are serving a God who is a loving father. But we sometimes forget that he is also a king. You know, when I was growing up, my my dad is also a pastor and he he started a Bible school way in the 90s. So... A lot of people would go to his office to get counseling, and as a young child, I would just barge into his office whenever I, you know, whenever whenever it would please me, and my dad would be like, "Yeah, do you want something?" I'll be like, "Yeah, no, nothing, just disturb his meeting," and I took great pleasure from doing that. Why? Just to prove to everybody that I'm his son. There's, there's a unique kind of boldness that you have with your father. Absolutely sure. There's unique kind of confidence that you can barge into his throne any time you want. But do you know that at this age, I don't do that? You know why? Because it will show poorly on who he is and poorly on who I am. I recognize that he's a meeting with somebody, so I'll wait. To children... No authority is given. They can play around in the house. You want to play around in the house of God? Go for it, guys. And you want to drink milk? Go for it. But I think God is looking for matured men and women who will take up the authority and that comes from submission and recognizing who God is. He does not give babies authority to rule over nations. He gives them authority to rule who understand and recognize The authority that they have. It comes from submission. We have too many babies in the church who are running around playing daddy, 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 daddy. But do not realize, do not realize the call of God's glory upon their lives. How does John introduce himself in the Gospels? Especially when he's writing the Gospel of John. What does he say? The beloved whom... Jesus love the disciple whom Jesus loves so you know from his writing that he was very close to Jesus but do you know when he is writing the book of revelations revelations 1 he has this encounter with Jesus he's not able to stand on his feet why because he's not just encountering the friend he's encountering the king of kings it is the encounter with the king of kings That will set you on the kingly anointing. You can be a child. Whoever has received Jesus has the right to become the child of God. You can remain as a child your entire life. 80 years old. You can do that. But if you really want to grow in the anointing and the calling that God has upon your life, you have to become serious. Everything of God will require everything of you. All of God will require all of you. I don't doubt that, I don't doubt that any one of us is not saved. I am absolutely confident of his salvation. But work out your salvation. Don't just be satisfied just being in the house of God. Work out your salvation so that you can move into maturity where you can represent the Father. That is to grow in the fear of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I, w- I, I hardly get a lot of Facebook likes on this. But uh, this is my mandate. Anyways, fear of the Lord is knowledge. So if you want to grow in divine knowledge, you need to grow in God's fear. Now, I'll give you three points. The first one is, You have to choose God's fear intentionally. You have to choose the fear of the Lord intentionally. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 28 to 29. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Why? Why are your prayers not answered? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So if you want to grow in God's fear, the first thing that you need to do is intentionally choose the fear of the Lord. Intentionally choose. Fear of the Lord is to become humble. What is it? It's to become humble. To be humble and say, Lord, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. I need you. Humility is to recognize that you are not sufficient. And you need the all-sufficient one. So choose fear fear of god intentionally second probes 3 verse 7 be not wise in your own eyes say with me own eyes be not wise in your own eyes because there are many who are wise in their own eyes be not wise in your own eyes fear the lord and turn away from evil renounce self-wisdom and repent renounce self-wisdom and repent You know, there should not be a single day that passes by where you're not praying, oh God, give me your wisdom. I don't want to lean on my wisdom and understanding. Give me your wisdom. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Every day. To come to that place of humility. To ask the Lord, Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me again, fill me again. I need you. I want you. The next, Psalms 34, verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is taught by the Holy Spirit. Because if you remember, when we were reading Isaiah chapter 11, one of the spirit was the spirit of fear that was upon Jesus. The spirit of fear is taught by the Holy Spirit. You can learn from the Holy Spirit. So, every day when you wake up and you do your morning devotion, if you don't do your morning devotion, come to me, I'll pray for you. Uh, Every day when you do your morning devotion, check the posture of your heart, check your physical posture, be humble. Be humble. Amen? Choose fear intentionally. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you the fear of the Lord. And then finally, renounce self-dependence. Renounce. Repent. Say, Lord, I want you. I want you in my life. I know that I'm smart enough, but I want you. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things to shame the strong. You're foolish. You're weak. Good to go criteria meant. His strength is not perfected in your strength. His strength is perfected in your weakness. So if you're weak, great. God's strength will be perfected. Don't be too strong. Be humble. Be humble to recognize, Lord, I need you. I want you in my life. I can't do this on my own. Amen? That's all, guys. Are you blessed? Love it. Amen.